Okay, so we're on a new series this month, Who is Jesus? Um, sounds like an easy uh, question, doesn't it? Who is Jesus? You know who Jesus is, but do you really know who Jesus is? Do you really know who he is for? What he is against? Do you know uh, about his deity, his humanity, all those deep things? But this one, we're looking at his intro- uh, the introduction. So the basic message of this one is Jesus is God revealed. And what this will tell us is that the fundamental truth that we all should know and accept is that Jesus is God. But I'm going to tell you why that's important and why it's important we should know the answer to this question, not the, not the Sunday school answer, uh, but actually the, the deeper answer of why Jesus is who he says he is and why it's important that we accept that as the truth. I've got some uh, silliness, as it were, to break this uh, sermon up, um, but it, I can tell you that it is an important part of the message. Um, but uh, I, I need to warn you that, obviously, I think you know this by now. I don't do this very often, but I, I'm going to show you something and, and you'll go, wow, that's so deep and amazing. Um, but we'll get to it and uh, hope you enjoy it. Anyway, so when we ask a question, who is Jesus? Uh, among Christians and non-Christians, I think you'll get a range of different answers. Uh, and one of those answers might be, that he was only a great moral teacher. Um, Telling people how to be good, good to one another, how to contribute to a moral society and make it stand and upright. But many religions teach this same philosophy and we can take Hinduism as one of those examples. And in fact, even non-Christians treat moral righteousness as a form of religion. saying that religion is the one that causes all the wars, when in fact, uh, I don't have the stats to hand, but actually it's been proven already that most wars are not started by religious disagreements, uh, actually started by people who want more power, uh, who want to invade, who want to grab uh, more power for themselves. Nothing to do with religion most of the time, in fact. But there are non-Christians, people who don't believe, they treat this moral righteousness as a form of religion themselves, Uh, While at the same time, they deny any existence of a being that created that moral standard by which they hold to uh, and that it even exists. But they might be right. They might be, in one sense, right that Jesus was just a good moral teacher if it was not for two things. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things that separate uh, this accusation that Jesus is just a moral teacher. Jesus claimed to be God and that he rose from the dead. These are two important factors. To believe in Jesus that is shown in the Bible will be the same Jesus we meet when we go in front of a holy God and give an account for our lives. This God, this Jesus Christ, is Lord, he says he's God, and then he says, if you believe, you must believe that he was raised from the dead. Now, this is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament. Thessalonians is one example, uh, but in many times, uh, even in Hebrews, raising from the dead, Jesus being risen from the dead is a very important point of believing who Jesus is. If you don't believe that he is risen from the dead, then it's not the Jesus of the Bible that we are believing in. It's someone else, someone different. 
And so some might ponder this question, and I've heard this many times and put in many ways, uh, what would Jesus do if he was on earth today? And I suppose as Christians, we get this, um, what is that noise? I was outside. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Dan. Um, so sum up on this question, what would Jesus do if he was on earth today? I know Christians do this a lot. They, they might say, what would Jesus do in my situation? Uh, and, and to begin with, I thought well, that's you know, generally an okay question, but actually there's a problem with that question, isn't there? Because it assumes that if Jesus was on earth today, that Jesus would just be on earth today. The fact is that he's only going to return once, and that creates a problem theologically. Uh, if you ask, what would Jesus do if he was here today? If he was here today, uh, we'd all be judged. Uh, it's the basic principle of Jesus returning. So it's a, it's a weird question, but so often people tend to think about Jesus not being in the church uh, if he was able just to come and not, ha- not be the second coming, if you know what I mean. Uh, and they think, oh, he, he won't be in the church, he won't be in this building, he won't be in buildings like this, he'll be outside, he'll be with the rejected and the maligned in society. He might be down the pub having pints with some people and talking to them. Uh, and I, I, I'm not making this up, I've heard this said. And I, I'm saying, no, he, he won't. He, he won't be doing that. And, and this is a hard thing to understand, first of all. Over the years, I've, I've learned this to be a somewhat dangerous question or or dangerous measure to use about Jesus because wrapped up in this answer and in the answers that you hear is what I want Jesus to be. I want Jesus to be the person I want him to be. So I create all these things about him uh, that are actually not true in the Bible. Oh, he'd be hanging around with the, well, that sounds right because that's what Jesus did when he was here first time, but that's not true biblically when he comes back a second time. But it's so that maybe I could justify my own way of living to a Jesus that I've ultimately made up in my mind. You see, if we do ask this question, then in reality, the real answer would be less popular, but a more accurate representation of Jesus himself. And as I said, if Jesus were here on earth today, he'd be bringing judgment to the earth and judge every human being based on this verse in Romans 10 verse 9. Those who believe he is Lord, that he was raised from the dead by God the Father, will spend eternity with a very real Jesus. Those who do not believe will receive the consequences of their own choosing and they will go to hell. If you do not believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will not be saved. If you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you will not be saved. 1 Corinthians... (laughs) That was the question. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Fundamentally important, right? Uh, Even right here, Paul states this is a very important point of Jesus being raised, that you believe that he's raised from the dead, in as much as and so far as he would say, "Uh, if you don't, it's useless. What you believe in is pointless, Because you don't believe in this Jesus, and Jesus isn't the Jesus he claimed to be if you don't believe he was raised from the dead. There's no point following this Jesus if you yourself think he wasn't raised from the dead. It wasn't possible. For our main part of this sermon, 
we're going to focus on this. This is Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. And it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So, the first part of our lesson is not found necessarily in this particular scripture, but is found in the title of this sermon. Have you noticed I've used the word who is Jesus, not who was Jesus? Jesus, however you might have seen him, however he might have been seen, even if he was on earth at the time before that, Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is God. He is the I am, which means he is current and present. And even now we talk of Jesus as the is, not as the was. Uh, Was as human, but is as Jesus, is as God himself, Uh, He is present and always and never a was, ever. (laughs) Always and is. But you see, these verses that we're looking at state that Jesus was seen on earth uh, as God himself, whose existence has not ended because of his death on the cross, but that he still is as he always has been, but now at the right hand of the Father, always present. You see, God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. The only difference is by the means he communicates that to us. And this is what these verses help us with. Is that God doesn't change over time. God doesn't change from being an Old Testament God to a New Testament God. He merely changed the way he communicates to his people. So in the Old Testament, he communicates through prophets and scribes and people that he has appointed to share the word, to to progress his mission and his plan. And in the New Testament, is, is, is God changing the way he communicates? Now he does it through Jesus, because Jesus needs to come and pay for sin once and for all. The Old Testament is constantly paying for sin every year, offering up the perfect lamb, the perfect or without blemish at least, uh, to God. So God himself doesn't change. There's never been a change of how he does anything in the Old Testament to the New Testament. The difference is that Jesus came to take the sin away from us and paid the price for it. There's a book which I've not fully read, but this quote is interesting. Authors seem to check out. I do my background checks. Um, There's a book called Reinventing Jesus, uh, and it says, attempts to reinvent Jesus are nothing new. The vines of radical skepticism towards the biblical Christ have been creeping up the walls of the ivory tower for two centuries. But only in recent years has such intense cynicism sprouted at the grassroots, and it it has spread quickly. The media's assault on the biblical Jesus, postmodernism's laissez-faire attitude toward truth, and America's, and I inserted the world's because it is the world, uh, collective ignorance of scripture have joined to create a culture of cynicism. In short, society has been conditioned to doubt. I would argue this is not in recent times. Romans 1 tells us that people have been like this since the beginning. Since the fall, people have always been cynical. People have always been doubtful about God because God says so in his word. In Romans 1, he says uh, that people rejected the truth that was plain to them. 
but no less a, a true statement about what we particularly see today. So as Christians, we are called to believe in two statements about Jesus. The first one is the Bible is the inerrant authority, authoritative word of God and completely true. That is, is without error, uh, that it is completely true, uh, that whatever is written in there, whether it be literal or figurative, it is still all true. It doesn't take away anything less because it isn't always literal. Sometimes the Bible speaks of principle. Sometimes the Bible speaks of literal things to do. And then the second thing is that Jesus Christ was the fully human and is the fully divine son of God. We know for some parts of people who claim to believe in Jesus, claim to believe in God, that this is a very difficult part for them to believe in. Jehovah's Witnesses would not agree uh, that he is fully divine, as in he is God. They would say he is a God, not the God. And yet that is because their book has been altered. But back to us. What's important about these two statements is you cannot believe one without the other. You cannot take one and just say, that's comfortable for me, and the other say, well, I, I just reject that. But I'm okay with, the, with one of them. It's not possible. These two true statements are intertwined. And these are not my words. This is not my opinion about whether they're intertwined. This is what the Bible says. One, John 1, 1 to 3, and 14 and 18. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Remember our verse in Hebrews? This is the same thing, so referring back to this as well. Um, the word became flesh, this is verse 14, and made his dwelling uh, among us. We've seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, father full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is, is, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Not my words, the words of the Bible. You have to accept that God's word is true because God's word is Jesus Christ. The two are tightly intertwined. In, in fact, they are the same thing. This is what John says. But this has consequences for how we understand and accept who Jesus really is. For if the whole word is Jesus and Jesus is God, then the whole word of God is what we must accept. As I said, there's no Old Testament God and New Testament God. There's simply God who communicated first through prophets, then through Jesus. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wasn't this at a certain point. He's always been this from the beginning, certainly from our beginning. But it's always been the ever-present God of the universe. But that means if God is the same as he always was and always will be, my personal opinion of who I think he is means nothing. And we take some comfort in this because if people try to tear down Jesus, they try to tear God down, nothing of what they say has any power or effect. It doesn't change who God is because someone says, I've got an opinion that says God isn't real, that God doesn't exist. You see, what we should be looking at in that moment is the sadness. We should be sad for those people because what's going to happen is they're going to meet judgment, they're going to meet their maker, 
and they're going to be regretful of how wrong they were. And that should be saddening to us. But we live in a society, don't we, that says that our words create things. We can speak things into existence. No, we can't. There's only one person who can speak things into existence, and it's God. And God has done it already. He's made everything. Everything works to a degree as it should, but is affected by the consequences of our actions, as we learned last month. So it won't change anything about the truth of who Jesus says he is. So let me take this simple example. My name is Colin. I was going to start with my name is Michael Caine, isn't it? My name is Colin. It was given to me by my parents. And it's recorded in an official document of my birth. That name is what I still accept that I go by today. Now, if you decide to refer to me as Bob, I will not respond to that name. I will not acknowledge it as my name because it isn't my name. The only reality that has been changed about my name is your own reality, not actual reality. Do you get the point? You can call me whatever you like, but I won't respond to it because that's not my name. In the same way that Jesus, if I tell, say to Jesus he's not real, it doesn't make him not real, he's still real. So second to the Bible, we, we always put the Bible first. I'm gonna show you a quick video of, of, of something that probably is, is, is nowhere near the Bible, but it's a very helpful tool. Biblically, Dan gets a peek first because he's on the media desk, so he knows what's coming. Um, but, but I want to say this. It is funny, and some of you might not like this particular program, um, but it is funny. Uh, and, and just bear in mind, the point we're trying to make here is, what is, what is Jesus' name? Is it still Jesus, even if we say it's not? I'll show you. Trig, why do you call me Dave? My name's not Dave. My name's Rodney. I thought it was Dave. No, it's Rodney. You sure? No, I'm positive. I've looked it up on my birth certificate and my passport and everything. It is definitely Rodney. Oh, well, you live and learn. So what's Dave? A nickname, right? No! You're the only one who calls me Dave. Everybody else calls me Rodney. And the reason they call me Rodney is because Rodney is my name. Oh, well, I shall have to get used to calling you Rodney. Thank you. Yeah, Basil, you're going to get this meeting started. Me and Dave ain't got all night. Rodney! Yeah, yeah. That's the most hilarious thing. I've got to say, I um, the reason why I love it is because there's comedy that's done without having to swear in it. And uh, this amazing craft of comedy uh, that is, is just funny. But the point being, clearly, I've made the point clear, I think. Um, and this one will stick in your head, I think, because it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great scene, but also a great point. Nothing changes just because uh, Rodney is called Dave. It doesn't change anything. Rodney is still Rodney, even if Trigger thinks he's called Dave. He's still Rodney. But Jesus is still Jesus. No matter how many times we want to deny him, no matter how many times people want to say he's not true, he's not real, he didn't die, he didn't rise from the grave, he did do those things, and those things have been proven even if you needed proof, it is there that that happened. Eyewitness accounts are incredibly important uh, when it comes to our society today and in judgments and court cases. The Bible has already been proven uh, in terms of its accuracy of an eyewitness account to be a proper eyewitness account. The fact that you might think there's contradictions is just the wrong way of looking at it because there isn't any. 
when we see an accident, when we see something happen, we're all witnesses to something. We have a different view depending on our standpoint, depending on our, uh, the things that we believe in, the things that we see around us. They all have an impact in how we view a, an incident or an event that occurs. And so all to say, Jesus Christ is who Jesus Christ says he is. No matter what character filter we put on him uh, to make him more palatable to ourselves. Jesus, God in human form, simply put, suffered and died on the cross to satisfy God's justice. He died on the cross so that the price of sin will be paid. He took the penalty for the sins of this fallen creation so that those who believe in him might have eternal life and fellowship with him. Then he rose from the dead to prove that he was truly the son of God and that all the sins of everyone who's ever lived were paid for forever. Forty days after his resurrection, he went back to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Just to prove the point, really, Hebrews 10, 11 to 12 says, day after day, every priest stands to perform his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. Old Testament, New Testament. But when he's, this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Love Hebrews because it changes from old to new very quickly. It speaks of why, how the new back, the old backs up the new and the new backs up the old. Uh, it's perfectly well put together in that sense. But when Jesus returns, everyone will face judgment. And because Jesus Christ is a revelation of God himself, there will be no excuses. We cannot stand in front of a holy God and claim, well, I thought Jesus was this or Jesus was that. When the Bible clearly states who Jesus really is. The Bible is not a collection of facts that you can rearrange to make it easier to digest. Adding in whatever we like to make it more acceptable to our worldview. Revelation 22, 18-21 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the place described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away that person, any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. You see, if Jesus was around today in human form, he'd be coming back for his church. The last place he'll be is in the pub or hanging around with the poor or rejected or any person for that matter. Christ will return not in meekness and gentleness, but in judgment and wrath. In one way to give those who rejected Christ exactly what they wanted, exactly what they always asked for, to not want to believe in him and so spend eternity without him. And on the other hand, to bring those to glory who believed in who he really is and waited patiently for it. Remember, Christ is coming back one last time. When that happens, judgment has come. For Christians, we must know that every day is a new day that Christ may return. 
Therefore, it's all the more important that we know the real Jesus of the Bible and continue to get to know him as the day draws ever so close. So here's how I play out the logic of what the church should believe about Jesus and how it should serve him. I've believed that since I became uh, the lead elder, the lead pastor of this church, that if Jesus is coming back for his church, then in that church building, including myself, must be people who know who that Jesus is. When Revelation talks about Jesus knocking on the door, you better know it's Jesus knocking on the door. And these are letters to churches that existed at that time, but the principles are the same. When he knocks, we must answer the door because we know it's him, because we know who Jesus is. There will always be people who may be in the church or, or come to a church event and never be saved. But as Christians, we need to live out as Paul taught us to. Philippians 1 verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is clearly not our convincing arguments that hold the key to someone giving their life to Christ. But we are to share with them why we live for a different purpose to them and what that purpose is in the hope that their purpose becomes Christ. Even if that rubs up against or rubs against the grain of what that person believes. We so want them to come to Christ that we'll will probably make an enemy out of them. But that's okay, because we want them to come to Christ. We don't do it harshly, we don't do it with, with judgment. God, God is going to deal with that stuff. But we know what's coming. As Christians, we read the Bible, we know what's coming. And so our heart and our desire is that the person, however they might react to us, is, should be indifferent to us. We should still want them to come to Jesus. That should be our desire for everyone who is not a Christian. But above all else, I believe that we must not follow the trend of being seeker sensitive. That is to say, to not be an enabler to encourage people to believe in a Jesus that they've made up in their head. Seeker sensitive means that whatever you come with, the church adjusts and changes to the, the group of people that are in that church. And so you've got to talk about issues of homosexuality, issues of divorce, issues of envy, issues of whatever. Those issues must be biblically based, not on the political view of what we think is right and wrong. Now, they can all be done in a gracious and loving way. They don't have to be aggressive and we don't, we don't have to have an argument with them. In fact, the Bible says, don't argue with people. If it gets to that point, we need to step back. Because what, what that does, it makes people resistant to the gospel. If all they're doing is becoming angry and, 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 and to the point where they, they just, they don't want to hear you anymore, then they won't hear the gospel either. So we're very careful about how we share the gospel, but we still should do it, but always mindful that when is someone closed? When does someone close off and they're no longer wanting to hear about Jesus? No longer are they going to hear what the words that we're saying. They just want to get their point across and argue and argue. Look, pray for you. Grace be with you. I'm going to step away. Remember, we don't have this power, but we share the gospel in the hope 
and knowing either the gospel and God has the plan in order to bring them to himself. But we're here to bring the good news to them. Does the church welcome and love those who are seeking the answers to the bigger question, is there a God? Yes, that's what we're here for. Whoever walks through those doors are made in the image of God. Doesn't matter where they came from, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter what they're doing even in that moment in their lives, how they're living it even. But they've been made in the image of God. Every human being has been made in the image of God. God tells us to love our neighbour. If we love him, then that will be proven, that will be shown. If we love our neighbour, then we love God, right? We love God first, but if we love God, then we also will love the thing he created that's important. What we don't do is enable behavior. We don't enable sinful behavior. We don't encourage and we don't let people just stay where they are. That's, that's not serving them. In fact, we might be helping them to hell. What we're here to do is bring the gospel that will change their lives as it's changed ours. And we say every sin now that we're tempted with is no longer something we just a blasé about and we just carry on. Now we're going, oh, another challenge today. Another battle today. But you're only aware of that because the Holy Spirit is in you who is speaking to you and saying, there's something wrong here. Prompting us. That's not honouring God. Step back. Move away. Don't follow through with that temptation. So sometimes I do worry that the Jesus we portray as churches is sometimes not the one we see in the Bible. The one who first loved in order that we might be saved from his wrath and judgment. And that's not to say that the reason to believe in Jesus is because we do not want to go to hell. For that's also not believing in the full Jesus, the proper, real Jesus. We do that all the time, don't we? We... We pick something because we want to avoid the bad thing, so we look for the good thing instead. I won't drive at 100 miles an hour down Axminster Crescent. I'll drive at 30 miles an hour because I know it's better. But there's a deeper thing with Jesus. It's not that we're just trying to avoid hell. We're trying to avoid death. Our lives here are changed right now as you believe in Jesus. My view of the world is different. Everything I do is different. I want to serve him because I'm so grateful for what he's done for me on the cross. So my attitude is changing. My character is changing. And I don't want to put it like this, but it's the only word I can describe. Going to heaven and being with God in eternity is like the backstop. It's like the final thing. Yet before that, we've got all this great stuff we can do in sharing the gospel, seeing people come to him, be saved. That's great. It's great news that we can get to study the word and look at it and we can enjoy it and we can take it in and we can read it. That's a gift that we don't deserve. 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives that fear because fear is to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Do you see, it's not about fearing hell that the reason why we go to Jesus. We go to Jesus because he saved us from our sins. As a result of that, I'm saved from hell. 
Do you see? The first thing I, I acknowledge is that I'm a sinful person and Jesus has saved me. So I have no fear of death anymore, but now I, I've come to Jesus because he saved me from my sin, which would send me to hell in the first place. It is to see the love of Jesus Christ who died for all sin. The joy is in having a saviour who paid the price for what we deserved. And we deserve punishment for sinning against the holy God of the universe. And to that end, church must be a place where we offer every opportunity to teach about Jesus. It's not designed to complement society or the world and so be of the world, but to be counter to the world it is in. When Jesus was on earth, many hated him for what he stood for. The reason they hated him wasn't because of social justice or revolution. In fact, I've said this before, when Jesus first comes in, into the city on a donkey, they're actually expecting him to turn to where the Romans are based. And he doesn't, he turns into the temple instead. But here's all these people expecting this Jesus to come and stage a revolution. He says, no, that's nothing in comparison to what he's about to do. So they hated him. They hated him. What, what, what he came to do was to free people from the world. The prince of darkness and death. So even though they would become alien to it, they would not be away from it. And he even says that in his word as well. Father, I do not, uh, they do not come with me. They're going to stay here, I'm paraphrasing. Because that's what he wants us to do. Because our, assurance, our salvation is assured, says the Bible. It's assurance. I have assurance. I'm saved because I believe in Jesus and exactly who he is. And because of that, I can operate in this planet, on this earth, in this body. Fail sometimes and mess up. But you know what? Even if someone kills this body, I'm still going to be with Jesus. In our adoption as sons and daughters to a holy God through Jesus Christ, We've been given a new home that we can be assured of is waiting, awaiting us. One John, uh, sorry, John one twelve. But yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as a result of this, this is our temporary home. This place we inhabit right now is temporary for us now. Our new focus as believers is to share the good news with those around us before Jesus returns and takes believers to glory with him. In which case, it is utterly and completely essential that we know the Jesus Christ of the Bible that we are called to share with everyone else so that they may know there is only one uncompromising Christ <clears throat> that offers salvation and way to the Father. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> to know the answer to the question, who is Jesus, will determine our life on earth and life in eternity. It is nothing short of the di difference between life and death. 
we don't know the Jesus of the Bible and accept him for who he says he is, we're believing in a different gospel. I'm going to leave you with this verse, Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We're going to explore Jesus' humanity, Jesus' deity, and how those two come together over the next few weeks. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll have some worship, and then we'll have communion.